Um, we are starting our, our series, um, uh, Who Needs a Reason for the Season? And, and again, we, we've been look, we looked at this idea last week that as we start our Advent series, um, a cultural war will begin to take place. Um, there will be a battle, kind of a tug of war, um, between the forces of good and the forces of culture. That's an ugly way of saying that. Um, but, but you kind of get, get the idea with that picture. And again, the usual suspects will make their appearances and claim to be the reason for the season. Um, the axle tilt is, is one reason, uh, which is actually the explanation for the winter solstice. Um, and a few people will love this one. This will be the ever-controversial pagans are the reason for the season. And again, uh, my personal favorite, uh, football, is the reason. No, kidding, that's not my personal favorite. I, that's my second, my second favorite reason uh, for the season is football. So who needs a reason for the season this morning? I would suggest that faith needed a reason for the season. My faith, your faith, the faith of a whole lot of people. See, growing up, let me, let me, let me explain this. Growing up, um, for me, the holidays were all about sitting around and sharing it all started when stories, right? You get grandma and granddad, you don't see them very often. You get the aunts and the uncles. And all year long, you've been kind of, I mean, this is what I do. I kind of... I know there's some questions I want to ask. Some, some. I understand that Dad did this, and and and, and during the holidays we tell stories. Now, if you're the in-law. In that family setting, I don't know if some of you have been in that position where none of the stories mean anything to you, and that's when you go in the other room and take a nap, right? Right? I mean, that's what I do when I'm at my in-law's house because I don't know their stories. But we're all about, my family's all about stories. And the fact of the matter is we all have really, it all started when stories and they cover all aspects of our lives. You, you have probably, I'm guessing, a, it all started when story about you and your spouse, right? My wife and I have got a story. We met at Point Loma. Uh, she went to class. I didn't. I saw her one day, and I decided I'm going to go to class. And I met her, and the second time I went to class, I asked her out, and the rest is history. That's our little it all started when story. Um, and again, maybe some of you have it all started when career stories, right? When some neighbor down the street called you into his garage and said, hey, here's a tool. Here's a crafting tool. I'm going to show you how to use it. And lo and behold, you grew up and now you're a craftsman of, of something. And, and, and you look back at that man or that, that person that invited you into their shop and you think, man, it all started when a really, really nice neighbor just kind of reached out. And so you all have these, 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 it all started when, and the fact of the matter is you, you probably all have a faith. It all started when story, right? Um, and for many of you, it might have been mom and dad sharing Jesus when you were a little kid. Maybe it was, I mean, for me, it was sixth grade summer camp. That's when my it all started faith story. Uh, some of you summer camp. Um, I went looking for girls and I found God. Go figure. Um, but it worked out really well for me. Um, <laughs> uh, and again, for many of you, it might have been, you know, grandma. It might have been a priest. It might have been a children's pastor, youth pastor. Uh, for many of you in our culture now, today, it could have been in a temple, a mosque. Maybe, maybe you cobbled together your own understanding of faith. You never went to church and you just kind of heard rumors and you kind of put it together through your life's joys and ups and downs and you kind of put together a faith. Nobody explained it to you, but you're, you're kind of sitting, sitting on that, that faith. But again, maybe, maybe there's still a whole lot of stuff you're missing. You're coming to church, somebody has invited you, and you think, you know, all these people, they spend every Sunday here, they sing all these songs, you know, and I just don't get it. Maybe for you this morning, this is going to be the start of your faith story. It all started one Sunday morning, December 1st, right? And I met Jesus. So maybe you're in that camp this morning, but for most of us, once we look at our foundation, we, whatever we cobble together, it looks somewhat like this, right? You believe that, that, that God was good. You believe that God punishes evil, that he awards good, rewards good, and that he answers prayer. Now, the first two of these was no problem. We all, man, we, we lined up behind that one right away. That was, that was easy to believe. But that third one kind of got a lot of us kind of stuck, right? Um, but as we got older, the faith of our childhood got put to the test, all of these things that we thought were so black and white, there's no, there's no differences, there's no variations, just simply the way God operates. And then we grow up and it 
doesn't appear to work that way. A lot of you have had experiences where you, somebody in your family, somebody in your relational circles, they died. Um, something, something tragic happened and, and you begin to look and say, well, wait a minute, is God good? How come he didn't answer my prayer? Does God answer prayer? And over the years, you know, your, your, your faith, it just kind of takes hit after hit. And the faith of your childhood kind of begins to wobble. And then as you leave your neighborhood and you begin to expand outside of where you grew up and you begin to meet people at school and at work and places like that, you discover um, there are people out there that don't believe any of it. They don't believe anything that you believe in. And they begin to attack the very foundation of your faith. They begin to ask really, really uncomfortable questions. <laughs> yeah, I learned last week. <clears throat> you bet. Did the events really, as they're described, did they really happen? A virgin birth? I mean, can you give, give me a break. You know, eyewitnesses, are they reliable? Did the story change before? I mean, I mean, all these kind of things. People begin to ask questions. And you left high school and you got into the world and you begin, wow, they never talked about it. They never talked about it like this in church. They just always assumed, here, 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 here's what the Bible says, here's what you believe, and now everybody go home and, and be good to each other kind of the way some of our faith w w was formed. And again, maybe they made fun of your stance on cussing. Maybe your friends at work made fun of, of your, you know, you didn't laugh at the dirty jokes or you left the room or you decided that sex is only for marriage and they were poking fun of you at, at that. And it just kind of went on and on. And, and kind of like a house of cards, your faith began to crumble as you got just a little bit older. And you're here this morning, and I'm not sure why you're here this morning. Somebody, maybe somebody just said, hey, you know, come to church with me. Um, you haven't been in a while. You're here for the weekend, so, you know, come to church with me. Uh, maybe some of you are hoping right now that I'll say something either this morning or in this series that will give your hope or your faith some hope. Again, maybe that's not you Maybe it's somebody that you know. Maybe it's a family member at home. Maybe it's a neighbor that you've been talking with and you're kind of getting nowhere with. And you're thinking, maybe, maybe Pastor Jerry will say something that will restore my faith. Maybe give my, my faith a booster shot in the arm, like we all should have gotten the flu booster shots in the arm. And again, it's not that you rejected faith. It's just that as you grew older, your, the, the faith that you had been handed as a child seemed grossly inadequate for the experiences that you begin to experience in life. The simple answer simply didn't work anymore. There had to have been some nuances that you didn't understand, or maybe the whole thing is just a... A big giant hoax. Karen Armstrong said it this way. Says many of us have been left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. We learned about God at about the same time we were told about Santa Claus. But while our understanding of Santa Claus evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat infantile. Not surprisingly, when we attained intellectual maturity, many of us rejected God that we had inherited and denied that he existed. That sound maybe familiar, maybe some of the people you know, maybe you already went through this and you've come back to faith, but you, you struggled with some of these questions um, and you struggled bringing your faith of your childhood into your adulthood in a way that, that, it, that it worked. It wasn't just a cultural thing. It wasn't something that you just did, but it was something that you believed deeply, deeply in. And the result was a gap. Right, A gap of seemingly irreconcilable differences between what you were told to believe as a child and what you've experienced as an adult as you grew older, as you grew up. And now as adults, you read the Bible stories and in the back of your mind, I'm not sure what you're thinking. You're doing it because you know you're supposed to be doing it and it's the right thing to do and, and you're beginning to... Right? Or maybe, again, you've already gone through this stage, or maybe you know somebody who's going through this stage, and they listen, and they know that you read Bible stories to your kids, and they ask you, why do you do that? And you know right away that they're struggling. They're struggling with these stories. Is there truth to these stories? Is there something behind these stories in our Bibles? And I would suggest this morning, what if we were handed the opportunity to start all over? Again, think about your family, your friends who have lost faith. Maybe they never found faith, they've been questioning it, they've been bouncing around the edges of it, but they just haven't committed yet. What if you were given a brand new 
it all started when story this Christmas. That would be an incredible thing of hope, wouldn't it? I mean, that would really match what this first candle, this candle of hope and, and the words of Isaiah, that we do have a hope, that we have God's answer is coming. And that's what Isaiah was coming. God's got an answer to all of your doubts. God's got an answer to all of your hurts. He's got an answer in it. It's in the form of a man. It's in the form of a man named Jesus Christ. I mean, what if restarting our faith as an adult was an option? I mean, we've seen people do it in other areas of our life, right? I've seen it. You've seen it. People relaunching their marriage, right? Or, or restoring broken family relationships or, or taking a career that was basically dead and, and bringing it back to life, right? We, we've seen this happen. And I want to share with you this morning that it can happen with your faith too. A faith that maybe this close to being dead in the water can be brought back to life. Here's what I believe. The gap isn't irreconcilable, right? But the gap between what you've heard and what you were told to believe as a child and what you've experienced as an adult, um, that gap's got to be treated a little bit differently than when you treated it as as a child. Um, It's actually going to be fairly easy to close this gap, but it needs a different approach. We'll need to reapproach faith as adults because approaching faith as an adult is a little bit different than approaching faith as a child. As a child, we were just told to believe, and we believe because mom and dad don't lie to us. But as an adult, we begin to run in again to experiences and circumstances that weren't pure black and white. There was just a whole lot of gray. And you thought, well, I never talked about, you know, my Sunday school never talked about gray areas. There was this and there was that. And, and now what, what, what do I do? What do I do now? My goal this Christmas season, maybe a marriage needs to be repaired. Maybe some family relationships need to be restored. Maybe a career uh, needs to be relaunched. And maybe, maybe this morning a faith that's about to come crashing down like a house of cards can be restored. So my goal, my my prayer for this whole Advent series, this Advent message series, um, is that you would find faith again. Maybe for the first time for some of you, my prayer is that through this series that God would give you a fresh reason for the season. And as we enter this time of prayer right now, we're, we're, we're going to kind of... Turn our thoughts over to God for just a few minutes here. Our, our music team's going to come back up. We're going to continue to sing praises. Um, but I kind of want to focus on that hope cam- candle for just a moment in our, in our, in our time of prayer. Um, a couple different places in Scripture. I'm not going to show them up on the screen, but in, in the book of Luke in chapter 17, uh, the disciples are being told that they don't have to uh, forgive everybody just one or two times, seven times. Jesus kind of throws them a curveball and says, you got you to forgive them seven times, seven times, seven. You know, you, you, you can't stop forgiving them. And, and the disciples, they, they, they prayed right there, um, <laughs> increase our faith because forgiving these fools is really, really hard. You all know this, right? And so some of you, some of you, that's your prayer. And I, and I want you to kind of focus on that prayer. Lord, increase my faith. I have a faith. I believe in you. Um, but this Christmas season, it's waning just a little bit. Right? And so this morning, I, I want to ask you, if you're in that boat, I, I want you to pray this prayer that this, the disciples prayed directly to Jesus. Increase our faith. And, and maybe you're like the father, right, who had gone to the disciples and his little kid is, is demon-possessed and he had asked the disciples and they couldn't do anything. And the man says, Jesus, if you're willing, you, you could probably do this. I, I've heard about you. Right? And Jesus responds, um, if you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for one who believes. And immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And maybe some of you are at that stage. You're just like, I don't have much at all. I mean, you, I don't even think you could call it a faith. Um, but can, can, I have, can I have what these other people have? This this rock-solid foundation of faith um, because I look at my life and I'm kind of flip-flopping all over the place. So if you bow your heads for just a moment and make that your prayer. And again, maybe it's for you and, and, and I, again, maybe it's for somebody sitting at home, somebody you know you love and you know they're far from Christ and this whole Advent season, maybe they're poo-pooing it and 
Maybe that's your prayer this morning, and I would suggest focus your prayer on that person, on that family member, that neighbor, that coworker. I, I don't know who it is, but you do. And again, maybe it's you. Maybe the gift that you're going to receive this Christmas season is a brand new faith, a strong faith, a faith that's relevant to your life, that, that makes sense in your daily goings about. So if you bow your heads, Father, we come to you this morning at all points of a spectrum. Some folks in this room, they believe unquestioning. Their faith is sky high. There's no doubts. They face life. They face ups and downs of life, and they always seem to be filled with joy. And Lord, at the other end of the spectrum, even when good things happen, we find something wrong. Father, this morning, your word says that you'll meet us halfway. You're always halfway there, but we're not halfway to you. We're pulling back sometimes. So, Father, this morning, our prayer for every person in this room is that when we reach up, your hand will be there. Give us the courage to reach up. Your hand being there is the given in this equation, but we're the big question mark. Will we trust you or will we not? So, Father, this Christmas season, as we dig through this Advent series and we look at some amazing claims and some amazing backstories to the Christmas story, that every person in this room this morning would experience afresh an anointing of your Holy Spirit to the point that, that no matter what life is doing at, at, at that moment during this Christmas season, that, that your goodness would rise above it and that we would ride that goodness like on wings of eagles and we would rise above all of the commotion of this season and we would be able to focus in on the hope that this season brings. So, Father, for every person in this room, I, I pray for renewed hope. I pray that Emmanuel would become real in our lives, God with us. Not just God knows about us, but God with us. Father, we know you're here this morning because we're here. And your word says that when we gather in your name, you're here in a powerful, powerful way. Father, by the power of your spirit, make yourself known to whoever doesn't know you this morning. Might this day be the day that either we find Christ for the first time or we rediscover the beauty of Jesus. Father, thank you for every person praying right now for neighbors and friends who are lifting up people who are struggling. They don't have the answers. They're looking for the answers. They haven't found them. We have the answers that they're looking for. Father, give us courage this week, this month to invite them into our homes, to invite them here to church, to invite them into our hearts. And, the, and there they would discover Jesus. Father, by the power of your spirit, we pray that these things would happen this, this season. And that hope would be relit on a faith that was growing dark. <laughs> but as Stephanie said, and as she read from your prophet Isaiah, a great light has come into the world has shown in the darkness. Father, that's our prayer this morning, that darkness would be chased away by the light of your Son. Father, thank you for the fact that you've been doing this for 2,000 years. And people have been finding you. All they had to do was seek, and they found you. It wasn't a mystery. It wasn't anything. They, they searched, and they found you. Because you said that you would be found if we searched for you. So this morning, this whole entire Advent series, as we search for you, Father, please be found. 
please be found by folks who desperately need to find you. And may today be the start of that. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. So I want to start by making a rather controversial statement, but I, I want you to understand something. This statement is not a statement of fact, right? It's called a, a normative statement, meaning it, it is a statement that reflects the experiences of a lot of people, but not all of you. It'll it will reflect the experiences of a lot of people in the future, but it won't affect other people. They'll go a completely different route. Um, meaning simply, again, this, is, this experience um, is for many people, but certainly not everybody. Hit the statement. The Bible says, and everybody just don't start writing your emails to me yet. The Bible says is not an adequate starting point or a returning point for many adults. And what we're talking about this morning again is how can we in this Christmas season, this Advent season, how can we rediscover hope for folks who have lost hope? And more than likely people have lost hope because they lost sight of the kingdom. I mean, that, that happens when you lose sight of the fact that things are going to get better, Christ is going to return, answers will be answered, questions will be answered. Um, without that kind of stuff, pe people lose hope, they, and they lose hope rather quickly, and we read about it in the papers, because they take their lives. And, and, and ultimately, that is somebody who has completely lost hope in anything that could ever happen. And Christ came to say, don't, don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. Because there's going to come a day that your faith is going to be rewarded because I'm going to return and I'm going to answer a lot of these questions that you have. The Bible says is not an adequate starting or returning point for many adults. What you're going to say, if you start it that way, you're going to hear, see ya, been there, done that. That was my grandmother's church. That was my granddad's church. That was a church I grew up when I was little. It didn't make sense now, then, and I don't think it's going to make sense now, so, you know, take your, the Bible says, and, and no, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, the Bible says, but let me tell you about my career. Let me tell you about my cancer. The Bible says means nothing to me. And, it, and, it, and again, not everybody, but for a lot of folks, if we start out the conversation with the Bible says, they're quickly going to check out because they've already heard that and it didn't match their experience. Now, here's the, re, the reassuring news. The Bible says was never intended to be the starting point for the Christian faith. The New Testament, as we know it, all the information about Jesus and the apostles and the travels of the apostles wasn't even put together for a couple hundred years afterwards. Now, the stories were making the rounds. There were letters making the rounds. Paul had written some letters. A book of Acts had been written, kind of a travel log of the disciples and, and what they did. And these documents were making the rounds, but nobody, literally nobody especially the Gentiles, could say, the Bible says. That just wasn't a possibility. They, they, there, there was, again, if you were a Gentile, you wouldn't whip out your Hebrew Bible. First of all, you didn't even understand it. It wasn't written in your language. You're Greek. They were Hebrew. Now, maybe with some Hebrew folks, you could start with, and again, Jesus actually did this. He would start with the Old Testament. But for many folks, the Bible is just simply the wrong place to start. Nobody could say the New Testament says. So the fact of the matter is hundreds of thousands of people became followers of Jesus Christ without the New Testament, without a, without a book that they could point to and say, here's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Incredible faith, faith in action, but really no book. So here's the question. What was there? it all started when story? Right? If they didn't have a book to start with, if they didn't go into a local hotel and find a Gideon's Bible sitting there and they suddenly whip open the book of John and they find Christ because that was no, there were no, there was no such thing as, there was just this man. These stories about this man that were circulating. Some people were writing down the stories, but there was no authoritative encyclopedia book, world book, anything like that. There was just nothing. It was just, I knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to listen into this conversation between Paul and a group of folks who had never heard of Jesus. It's about 20, 30 years after Jesus. And again, I'm not saying the Bible says is definitely where the conversation... All I'm saying, let me, let me back up. All I'm saying is the Bible says is definitely where the conversation needs to go, but not necessarily is the starting point of a conversation. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not bagging on the Bible here. I'm just saying it's a poor place to start the conversation for a lot of folks. 
For a lot of folks, it'll be a great place to start the conversation, but I'm just opening up a different possibility. The conversation always needs to arrive at the Bible because it explains so much, but not necessarily a starting point. So again, there's a travel log, kind of a journal of a man who was a doctor. His name was Luke. Right? Traveled with Paul, taking notes. This was before the Gospels, right? There's no referring to the words of Jesus. There were some, so again, some documents making the rounds, and everybody had kind of incomplete documents. Some had this saying, some had these sayings, and, and they were making the rounds. This is, this is important here. He knew what he knew because of who he knew. He knew what he knew because of who he knew, right? He had never met Jesus, but he knew James, he knew Peter, he knew John, before there were anything written down by any of these people. Luke didn't know what he knew because he had read the New Testament. And again, today, I'm not asking you to believe everything is true. I'm just asking you to listen into this early conversation, this early, it all started when conversation story of faith. And how this person who knew the people who knew Jesus presented the gospel to people who didn't know Jesus. So Paul, Paul's wandering around, um, the, the writer of the book of Acts is, is a man named by the name of Luke, and the key character in the book of Acts is Paul. And it's basically, if you dig into the book of Acts, you, you'll see all the churches that he went through. It, it's literally, you, you place the, the book of Acts right here, and then you, then you look through um, all the letters of Paul. Every single one of his letters can be traced back to somewhere where it fit in the book of Acts. So you, good ideas to have the book of Acts on, on one side of you as you read any of Paul letters because you'll find so many crazy connections between those two sets of um, books, those two sets of documents. Now, so Paul's wandering around Athens and he comes across the idols to all the, un, all the gods of Athens. And there were a lot of them. And then he comes across the altar to the unknown God. And so I'm going to start. And, and by the way, if you're looking at your bulletin and it says something else, um, you understand that sometimes pastors in the middle of the week, they give their secretary something. And then later in the week, they decide that's not working for me. It's just not. That's what happened. So if you're looking in your bulletin and it has certain passages, go ahead and read them. They're really, really good. Um, but that's not where I'm going this morning. So there you go. If you're wondering, what's the guy talking about? Okay. I'm going to start in the book of Acts, chapter 17. I'm going to start with verse 16. That's where we're going this morning. So if you got your phones out, turn to, right, that's the way we do it now. Acts 17, verses 16 and 17 says this. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of a... <coughs> greatly distressed... To see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks. <coughs> as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. You know, it's interesting as I read this passage right here. I, how many Christians, raise, don't raise your hand. How many times have you heard yourself say, definitely don't raise your hand. Um, I don't know any non-Christians. Look what Paul did. He just, he wandered around the marketplace, like hanging out in front of yokes. Hey, <laughs> right? I don't know how he did it, but he, he seemed to find places where people were discussing. Maybe don't go to yokes because people are busy shopping. Like you can sell cats there and kittens, but don't sell the Bible there. <laughs> you get a funny looks, uh, you know, Girl Scout cookies. That's, that's the place to go, yokes, right? So again, modern Christians, I don't know any non-believers. Get outside. Uh, verse 18. Um, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate him. Now, let me tell you about these two groups of people because they are the two groups of people who love to talk about Jesus. Even today, these are the two groups of people who love to talk about Jesus. We'll start with the Epicureans. Um, basically, they didn't believe in any gods. And if there were gods, the gods were unknown and the gods were unknowable. So an Epicurean basically is, you know, in moderation, just seek pleasure, right? We can't figure it out, so enjoy your day and have another glass of wine. That's the Epicureans, right? So then we got this other group, the Stoics. They're the extreme opposite. There was a God, but even God is under the influence of the fates, right? So instead of giving in to the senses, Stoics preached absolute mastery over the senses, right? Do not feel anything, right? So these kind of, they, they became the, the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Pharisees. They were very, very self-righteous. We're above all, all that you're feeling, all their, your sadness. The, the Stoics were above all that. They didn't feel, right? We're just like, that's for ch children, right? 
Mature adults don't feel. We just, we just are. So what we got, we got these two groups of people who love to talk about Christ, drunk stoners and a group of self-righteous church folk. And I promise you, I worked in a bar. I had to because I had to manage a restaurant, so don't, don't judge me. Drunks love to talk about Jesus. They do. I've had the best conversations in a bar. They don't remember a thing. They come back the next day and we got to have the whole stupid conversation again. But, you know, they love to talk about religion, right? Get a few drinks in them and whoo-wee, right? Still true today. Uh, continue. Verse 18, chapter 17 still. The group of Epicurean Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them said, what is this babbler trying to say? And that word, <laughs> there's actually a Greek word. What is this hayseed trying to say? What is this country bumpkin who's come to the learned men of Athens and trying to explain to them religion? I mean, these were the most religious, knowing people in all of the world. And this country bumpkin coming from the, the back country of Judea. And, and in the Mediterranean world, Judea was the sticks, right? It was, it was out there, right? And, and, and wise people didn't go to the Eastern Mediterranean. They stayed in Greece and Rome and where all the, the, everything was happening. But Judea, that was like the backwater, right? So what is this hayseed trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. Now, this was very dangerous in ancient Greece. This got a lot of philosophers killed, right? Because it caused civil war. You don't come in and mess with the gods, right? And if you do, people will take sides. It led to civil wars. I mean, it was a big deal to introduce new ideas, new gods into this Greek world. Um, new ideas tended to split Athens. I'm going to continue again with verse 18. Um, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection, now, I'm going to jump to verse 19, the very next verse, and we're going to go to the Areopagus. This was, you all know this, this was the, uh, a hill, it's called Mars Hill, right? That's the way kind of we hear about it, Mars Hill. Um, it's the place or the court of the celebrated supreme judges of Athens. They would assemble in the middle of the cities, and it was the most celebrated tribunal group of judges in all the known world. Their, dis their decisions were known throughout the Mediterranean world. I mean, if, if the, the oracles made a decision there, all the world would know about it very quickly, and they would act accordingly. Like, this was the group that made the big moral, religious decisions for the world. Um, they would cover murders. They covered immoralities. They covered the vices. They, they covered idleness, right? If you were hanging out in front of the 7-Eleven, they would come and get you. Um, and they rewarded the virtuous. They didn't just punish bad people. It was like police going out and giving out, hey, you did a good job parking. Everyone ever got a ticket like that? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Even if they did, they wouldn't have given it to me. Um, and they would pay particular attention to blasphemies against the gods. That was, that was like their number one job is to protect the religious sensibilities of the city of Athens. And again, anybody coming in that would introduce new ideas, that could, that could cause a lot of conflict. So you were usually called before this group of people if you were somebody with a new idea. And Paul definitely came in with a new idea. Um, they were very, very particular about the performance of the sacred mysteries of religion, all the, the rights all had to be done exactly the right way. Um, so it was therefore, again, the greatest propriety that Paul is questioned before this tribunal. Introducing kind of a strange new God, right, to them, new way of worship. Verse 19 and 20, so then they took him and brought him to the meeting of the Aragopagus on Mars Hill, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. So Paul starts at the beginning, basically 20 years, 30 years after Jesus. There's no Bible, so he can't. Let me, let me show you. So he just kind of launches in. I'll start in verse 23. Then Paul stood up. <coughs> Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus, Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. So he's starting greasing the skids, right? You know, throwing out compliments, right? Man, you look beautiful. You look marvelous this morning, right? Smart speaker. And as I walked around, I looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. 
And so I don't know if he questioned them or what the deal was. Is basically, I'm like, this is the altar in case that God shows up, right? Oh, you showed up, but we didn't know your name. This is your altar. Hey, you know. So they're always ready for the surprise God. So they're smart, very, very wise people. So then Paul leverages what all religions contain. All religions contain uncertainty. You ever think about that? All religions contain uncertainty. And the priest, the preacher, the pastor, the parson, whatever you want to call it, um, basically they're up there talking, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, here's what to expect, but there's a whole lot of unexpected. Is that kind of what church is like, right? I stand up here and say, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, go home and find out, tell me when you come back, and we'll all know a little bit more. That's religion in a nutshell. So Paul starts a conversation. An amazing conversation. So he says this in verse 23. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And again, ignorant is not, this isn't a bad word. They're not, this isn't name calling. Basically, you're unaware of this. Again, not an insult. We read that and it's like, well, that was kind of mean. Um, but it wasn't. He's just, just being honest. So you're unaware of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you right now. Essentially, it meant you're guessing. You're, you're guessing, right? This means we don't know. So Paul says, let me take the un off of unknown. And let me make the unknown, let me make it known to you. I mean, this idol clearly says that you don't know. I know. I know the guy. Let me tell you about this guy. So in verses 24 through 27, he starts at the very beginning, right? Starts at the very beginning of creation. God isn't in everything, he tells them. He made everything, right? He's not in things. He made things, right? He doesn't live in any man-made thing, right? He gives life to all things. And God knew that you would search for him. You would search blindly because he put that inside of you. And all humanity has always searched many times blindly because there was no revelation. That's what the eunuch was doing as he's in trying to read from the book of Isaiah. He's like, this doesn't make a lick of sense. Here comes Philip. Oh, I'll explain it. And he runs alongside. You got to read that one. It's a good story. Um, then he tells him, you know this, you're seekers. And then Paul does something really, really cool. He doesn't quote from any kind of Old Testament. He doesn't quote from a Hebrew Bible, which he had. He doesn't quote from anything from his side of the argument. He quotes one of their philosophers, right? And then, I mean, what a relational thing to do, right? I'm not going to load my stuff. Let's start with what you know and what you read and what you honor. So he says this in verse 28. Basically, you're not far from the truth. Even your great poets bumped into this. Verse 28 says, As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Right? So basically, Paul is saying, you've been searching, and I'm about to end your search. What you've been searching for, I'm going to show you. Therefore, this is verses 29 and 30. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, again, he started with their philosophers, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. No. In the past, God overlooked such unknowing ignorance, right? Because he hadn't revealed. So he overlooked man's ignorance. He made a, he, some kind of arrangement. I don't know what it is. That's for him to decide for me to eventually figure it out. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So basically in the past, God understood that not all things have been said. So they did a lot of crazy things like putting their Bible, their babies as sacrifices to Moloch, like crazy stuff. And God says, look, I've overlooked that because they didn't know, but now I have revealed through a man. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Basically, because, I have, because God has now revealed information, y'all need to rethink what you've been thinking about God. 
You've been thinking this way. Now I want you to rethink. I want you to, you've been going in this direction and believing this, but I'm, I need you to turn in the opposite direction and, and, and re-look at this whole thing. Look at it in a radically different perspective. Instead of this, I'm going to ask you to turn around and look in the exact opposite direction. You're going to be surprised what you see. And then he brings it home. Watch this, verse 31. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And this is, he's introducing the man that he knows, to people who didn't know. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Proof. Basically, he's addressing what he had kind of basically said earlier. Religion is all about uncertainty. I'm about to remove that uncertainty. At least when it comes to your eternity, this man has the answer, and it's a certain answer. There are no unknowns in this answer. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, they fell on their knees and set about destroying their idols and their altars. Is nobody following along in their Bibles? This is important here. If this were a Bible story, this is the way it would have ended. And if you're not following along, this is not what it says. Just to let you know, it didn't go that well. Almost. But again, this was a real conversation. This isn't, hey, let me tell you a Bible story and now you believe and we'll all be live happily ever after. Right? This is a conversation and more than likely it's a conversation that just got started and it went on for quite some time. Here's what really happened. Here's verse 32, 33. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. You ever had somebody sneer? Can I tell you, I tried to introduce a man to Christ when I was in Europe, and that night, the man had a mental breakdown. Tell you what, that'll stop your evangelistic activities in a heartbeat. I'm sitting there trying to tell him about Jesus, and suddenly he's telling me that, that the devil is in the pictures in the wall of our hotel room, and as the night progressed, I became the devil. And man, I'm freaking out. I'm straight freaking out. I wouldn't go to bed that night because I thought he was going to smother me. I kid you not. The next morning, I went to our professor, dude, this guy's standing there, he's in his underwear, and he's got a blank stare. You need to help. Long story, we'll tell you about that story, the rest of that story, some other time. But some of them sneered, and maybe you've had that experience. You've shared Christ, and they come back at you like, oh, come on, are you, really, are you one of those, right, blah, 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 blah. But others said, we want to hear about this subject again, and after that, Paul left the council. And again, a few people, really? Really? And Paul's like, yeah. No, no, really. I used to think like you used to think. In fact, I went around killing Christians. But then I met the man. And it changed everything. I, I met the man. And it, it changed my whole, whole outlook. Changed everything. And in fact, the whole passage closes at verse 34. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Aragopagus. This was one of the judges, right? One of the big judges. He actually becomes a believer, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Demarius, and a number of others. So again, the starting point or the restart for many folks this season can't be the Bible, okay? It's a great place to continue the conversation, absolutely, but not necessarily the right starting point. The starting point for Christian faith, for many people, again, regardless of what you were told in Sunday school, is really a question. The starting point is a question. And again, it's not, why did the lions, why didn't the lions eat everybody on the ark? It wasn't, did God really make the world in seven days? It wasn't, was she really a virgin or was she just a young maiden? It wasn't any of those things. It was one simple question. The foundation that we have to wrestle with this Advent season. Who is Jesus? That's really the only thing that matters is who is Jesus. Again, last week I talked about Kanye West and I think I mentioned the fact that he was going to speak at Joel Osteen's church and, and he did that, that Sunday. And apparently it was amazing. Um, I just, you know, I was talking with some folks earlier. I don't know where this whole thing is going to go with some of these brand new on the edge witnesses, those that we, we look at them and go, mm, they need to be wearing a tie. <laughs> well, maybe not. 
They, 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 need, they need to not be married to Kim Kardashian. No, they, you know, I don't know where they're going to go with this conversation, but you've got to arrive somewhere. Um, and I, I remember one person said, but, but wait a minute, um, is not this man the most perfect example of a, a changed life? Right? If you look at Kanye before, him interrupting award shows and I deserve to be the winner and, and just crazy stuff. And, and now, wow, what a, what, a, what a great picture of a changed life. And, and we're all going to watch him. We're all going to watch him super closely. And, and quite honestly, we have a lot of people who are probably secretly praying that he's going to fail. And that's sad. That is really sad. Listen, I would suggest that you pray for him. Because there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people who would not come to any church, I promise you. But when Kanye West comes to a park to talk about Jesus, they show up by the thousands. And he gives them an opportunity to know Jesus, and they come running. It's like they were just waiting. Somebody explained it in a way that we can understand it. Don't start with the Bible says. Right? Every person in the audience, they looked at Kanye West, and they had to conclude... Something had to happen because we knew you and now, wow. My guess, I, I, I don't know. My guess, he's just telling his story. He knew somebody who knew Jesus. And now he's introducing this man that he never met. He's introducing him to other people who don't know Jesus. When Paul had his one opportunity, he starts with creation. God cares for us. And God revealed himself in the man Jesus. And again, if you're having trouble believing this, God knew. God knew this. So God raised Jesus from the dead. If you have any doubts, he raised Jesus from the dead. And then he provided a bucket load of eyewitnesses. Hundreds of eyewitnesses. In fact, when the writers were writing their letters, they would say, go ask these people because they're still alive. They knew Jesus. I didn't meet him, but they knew him. They met him. They watched him. And then they watched him come back. As soon as you answer this one question, all those other questions are going to answer themselves. So this morning, in order to restart your faith, or maybe just to give it that shot in the arm that it needs, um, I think some folks need to come face to face with their Savior. And we're going to share communion now. The Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. And there are many of you who maybe have never done this, maybe in this room. Um, I want to invite you to participate. Maybe you have even found Christ. But the way I read my Bible and the way I read our theological fathers, if you are searching, if you're serious, if you're wondering, if this, is this whole thing real? Then I want to suggest that you come up here and you participate in communion this morning. I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know for 2,000 years when people participate in communion, there's something that happens that, that we can't explain. God can explain. That's why he told us to do it. I'll just, I'll just be honest with you. A lot of us are just a little bit in the dark about what exactly. Remember John Wesley said that when we share communion, the... The world of heaven and the world of earth become so close, it's like a th super thin filament separating the two, where normally they're separated quite a distance. But when we share community, communion, somehow heaven touches earth. A lot of people need to be, need to be touched by their Savior, need to be touched with love. As you participate in communion, you will touch love this morning. You'll hold it in your hands. In your hands, the man who, as a human being, was broken for us, and as God had his blood poured out for us for the remission of sin. So as our ushers come forward and prepare the elements, I just want to ask you, Wherever you are in your faith journey this morning, whether you're rock solid, <laughs> you and God, boom, you know, or maybe, maybe you, you just need this this morning and maybe you're uncertain. This is the place to be uncertain. I don't have all the answers, but this morning you need to meet the one who does. 
His name is Jesus Christ. If you all bow your heads, let me pray over the elements. And then as you are ready, if you would come down the aisles, the two side aisles, even the center aisle, and take the elements and, and, and back to your seats. And I'd love to lead us in communion. Father, your son asked us to do this. He didn't say how often, but he said this, to do this in remembrance. And Lord, we, we don't, it, it's not an intellectual remembering, but it's a, an active participation in doing. To remember is to actually do what's on our mind. And so this morning, we bring you, Christ, into our lives through the Eucharist. It's not an idea. It's a person. It's not thoughts and good feelings. It's the Holy One, Emmanuel, God with us. Father, bless the elements. Make them what they were meant to be, whether we understand it all or not. We're going to obey. And we're going to trust you to do something. And I don't know what that is. But you've been preparing it. You've been out ahead of this whole thing all along. So some lights are going to come on this morning in some people's lives, Father. Darkness is going to be chased away this morning. So, Father, I thank you right now for every person who experiences light this morning. They come out of darkness. Father, if there's, again, any person in this room who doesn't know your son, this morning a simple prayer. Father, I've, I've run things my own way, and I've made a mess of things, and I need your son. I need to trust somebody, and I can't trust myself anymore. So I, I'm putting all my trust in you, Father, and I'm putting my trust in your son. And he said that I've accepted, if I accepted his free gift, I won't be answerable to all these things that I don't know. Father, by the power of your spirit, convince anyone in this room who's wavering to simply trust. They don't have to believe it all this morning, but to simply take that step of trust. And Lord, begin to reveal, begin to a, a series of revelations through your word and through people who love you. Thank you, Father, for these eventualities, for these things that are happening right now will begin to happen. They will happen later this afternoon, maybe later this week and this month, Lord. But you've already started some faith stories. And as the author, you will complete these stories. They'll be completed. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your spirit by which we know everything that we need to know. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Folks, have a blessed day. Have a wonderful Christmas season. Start inviting some folks over. Just share love. Share love. Thanks so much.